Uh, yet because of your, your love and grace and kindness towards us, um, God, you, you choose to allow us to take part in your kingdom work. Uh, you could accomplish it all on your own without any means of, of people, and yet you allow us to take part in it. So we thank you for that, and I pray this morning it would be, become clear how we are to, how we are to take part of that in, in response and obedience to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to have a seat. Often, you know, often people will, will preach uh, this passage, or particularly verse 8, as, you know, as an introduction into missions of, you know, what's your Judea, what's your Samaria, the end of the earth, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and that's not the approach I'm taking, really. Uh, the point of that is to say, like, what is the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended? It was, you are to be my witnesses. Uh, so if you're, you know, like me, simple guy, uh, just, you know, what's in front of you, it seems important that the last thing that Jesus would say to his disciples before he ascended was, you will be my witnesses. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is, is um, really three ways in which the scriptures call us to be a witness, three ways in, in which the early church saw their lives as, as a witness. Uh, and first, we bear witness with our words. And I feel like that's probably the most obvious, uh, m- most important, and, and probably the least practiced, is that we are to bear witness of Christ with our mouths by proclaiming the gospel. There is a famous quote attributed to Frank, St. Francis of uh, Assisi, Assisi, I don't know how you say it, uh, that, that goes something like this, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Who's heard that quote? Yeah, a lot of you. Um, there, there are two issues with the quote. Number one, uh, he never actually said that. That's kind of an interesting fact. Um, no one really knows where it came from. It's just one of those kind of legends that, that developed. Um, and, and number two, the second, the second issue that, that I have with that quote is Romans 10. 13 through 14. Again, I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Don't feel like you need to turn to everyone uh, or, or, you know, we'd, we'd extend this for several minutes. Romans 10, 13 through 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So the issue with preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words, is that the gospel is a message. It is a message. Uh, The death and resurrection of Jesus to save sinners has to be preached with your mouth. Now, hopefully your actions lead to an opportunity to preach the gospel with your mouth, but the gospel has to be preached. Um, The most charitable response, I think, to that, that quote when people use it um, is that I think people are, are using it and they use it to try to emphasize the importance of living out your faith. It's important as a Christian to not just say you're a Christian, but to actually live it out in the world in front of you. Uh, so so I, I think and I hope that that's the way it's used most of the times. Um, but if I'm being honest, I think sometimes it's, uh, it's an excuse to get out of sharing the gospel with people. Um, listen to this. LifeWay did a research project. This was back in 2019. And they found that 55% of churchgoers had not told a single person how to become a Christian 
in the previous six months. 55% of churchgoers had not told anyone how to become a Christian in the previous six months. And that's, that's really one of the more um, conservative studies I've seen. I've, I've seen studies that claim that, you know, up to 80% of, of self-proclaimed Christians have never actually shared the gospel with somebody. And I, you know, I won't ask for hands, but I, I would ask for you to honestly um, ask yourself, like, when is the last time that you have verbally shared the gospel with somebody? Not said, I'll pray for you, not invited somebody to church, not, you know, prayed before a meal, but, but with your words, share the gospel with a lost person. Um, it's one of our primary jobs as Christians, and, and I, I, I fear that, that we often fail at it. And, and I get it. You know, if you get 100 Christians in a room and you say, why do you not share the gospel? Same answers always come up. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up, which um, maybe deserves another discussion about, like, who is the one who, you know, makes salvation happen. It's not us. Um, or, you know, I, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to come across as judgmental because, you know, we live in a, in a world that you be you, you do whatever you want. So to say, no, you are a sinner uh, and, and you're destined for hell and you're under the wrath of God is not a popular message to preach. Um, but ultimately what all of those come down to, and I say this to myself as well, that all of that comes back to pride. All of it. All sin really comes back to pride. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look stupid. Uh, we don't want to be ridiculed. We don't want people to not like us, and so we don't preach the gospel to them. Do we really believe, though, that our, friend, our friends, our family members um, who are not Christians are going to spend eternity in hell under the wrath of God if they die apart from Christ? Do we really believe that? Uh, if you don't, that's another conversation, probably. Stay after, we can talk about that. Um, if you do believe that, though, I, I submit this quote from Penn Juliet. He's a, a magician, illusionist, uh, very vehemently atheist, unapologetically atheist. But he said this. He said, I don't respect people that don't proselytize or, or share the gospel. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, you think, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. That is coming from, now, uh, let's, let's grant that, you know, a lot of atheists are not that, uh, that charitable with their, with their opinion. Uh, but I at least appreciate Penn Juliet and, and, and his acknowledgement of the weight of the message that Christians are preaching uh, and his willingness to say, if you actually believe that and you don't share the gospel with your non-Christian friends, uh, you must really, really, really hate them. Um, now, am, am I, you know, I don't want to pretend that, that I share the gospel with every person I meet. Uh, I don't 
Everybody that I'm friends, friends with knows that I'm a Christian, uh, not because I tell all of them, uh, but when you're in ministry, it's kind of hard to avoid that. You know, Most people I meet within about 30 seconds know that I'm a Christian. What do you do for a living? Well, uh, it comes out. Now, does this mean that I've had an intentional conversation with every friend in my life about how to become a Christian? No. Uh, but when I haven't, that's not an excuse. That's sin. So how do we do it? How do we proclaim the gospel? How do we bear witness to Christ with our words? I wish I could give you a formula to initiate that conversation with people that we know. Uh, lots of people have tried to make formulas. The, the best gospel conversations I've ever had, honestly, have just been dropped in my lap by the Lord. They just kind of happened. Um, but I presume, when we, well, how do I share the gospel with my friends? I would presume uh, that, that everybody in here has had a difficult conversation with somebody before in your life. If you have not before, uh, man, congratulations. If you're like me, most conversations with most people are difficult because you're, you're awkward. But um, most of us have had a difficult conversation with people. At some point, you just have to take a breath and go for it. You can't wait for the right moment. You can't wait for the right words. At some point, you just got to do it. Uh, are you putting the relationship at risk? Yep. <laughs> um, but what's more important? Are you, are you such an amazing person that, that it's more important for them to have a relationship with you than it is for them to hear the good news of Jesus? Probably not, you know, to break it to you. Um, heaven's more important than, than you are. Um, I had a, a friend when I was in the army, um, more than one friend, I had several friends. Um, one, one friend in particular though, it, it's just, it's the nature of, of the military and combat arms that, that, you know, um, people die young more often than they should, not even from combat, but from other things. I had a, um, a friend who, who got out of the army, died in a drunk driving accident. Um, and I, I never shared the gospel with him, um, and so I had a couple other guys that I was really close to. And, and you know what I did after my friend died in the car accident? I had really awkward conversations, really awkward conversations uh, with, with several friends. Um, and, you know, they lived across the country, so a lot of it was text messages and, you know, hey, I, I just got to tell you this. I, I need to share this with you. And I did. Uh, and you know what? I'm still friends with all of them. They call me, like, preacher or whatever. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things... That's not, that's not so bad. I mean, technically I am. So, um, so we, we, we share the gospel with people we do know. We share the gospel with people we don't know. And, and here's, uh, you know, the most effective way. Hugh talked about this one time when we were in a meeting after our evangelism. The most effective way to share the gospel is with people that you know, right? People you have relationships that are in your circle of influence that you get to affect every day. But... Uh, you know, a lot of churches, that's, that's the entirety of their evangelism ministry. And I think that should be our primary focus. But the, the population of Jerome County is 24,000 as of the, the 2020 census. And I have a hard time believing that all 24,000 people have genuine Christians within their close sphere of relationships. Probably not. They'll probably never be reached with the true gospel if somebody does not intentionally awkwardly present it to them. And so that's why we go door to door every month. It's awkward. Um, it's uncomfortable. 
especially if you're reserved like me. If I had no choice but to be one of those people that go door to door, like, hey, your roof looks bad. Uh, you need a bad one or you need a new one or, uh, hey, you got a really nice house. It would be a shame if someone broke in. Maybe you need a security system, right? Uh, if I had no choice but to work doing that, my family would starve. Because I would knock on the door and be like, hey, do you want a roof? And they'd say no. I'd be like, okay, cool. Um, and, and, and I say that because, like, I promise you that if I can go door to door, anybody can go door to door. I don't like strangers. Uh, I don't like talking to my friends most of the time. I just, I would rather, I would rather just be quiet and, you know, to myself. Um, so you should, you should give it a shot sometime. That's, that's all I'm going to say. You should give it a shot. You don't have to... Uh, you don't have to do the talking. You can just go and listen and, you know, smile and try not to look too creepy as you do it. Um, but what we're doing, the purpose is we're trying to fulfill this mandate that God has given us to be a witness for Christ by preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Our culture's general attitude towards religion is it's, it's fine if you want to believe that. Just keep it to yourself, right? That's what our culture thinks of Religion. The problem is, uh, too often Christians have just obliged and said, okay, you're right. We don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to seem intolerant. Uh, I, don't want to, I don't want you to feel like I'm not accepting you as you are. I feel too often that we fail to be witnesses uh, by just giving in, by failing to proclaim the gospel. So we bear witness to the truth of the gospel, to Jesus, with our words, and then we do it with our actions. We bear witness with our actions. So what are the marks of a follower of Jesus? What is it in a Christian's life that bears witness to Jesus? I think there's two things. One, the way we live, and two, the way we love. I'm going to read, just kind of rapid fire through some verses. It's great when you're talking about something that's like, I don't have to say anything creative. I can just read the Bible, and uh, it answers the questions, right? We bear witness through, with the way we live. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. A lot of you know this, the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, Again, just feel free to listen, write them down, whatever. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Back to Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the follower of Jesus is marked by a new life where the flesh has been put to, de- put to death, where the old has passed away, the new has come. The Christian no longer bears the fruit of the flesh, but bears the fruit of the Spirit. So we pursue holiness. We, we strive to glorify God in our actions. We're not perfect, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the process of sanctification, our life, Mickey talks about it often, there's a little bit of this, but it should be this general upward trajectory of growing in holiness, being conformed more and more into the image of the Son. And in that, as we live lives that are glorifying to God by, uh, by evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, we bear witness to Christ. I think it's one of those areas where it's helpful to, to go back to church history. I'm going to read, um, this is the, the letter to Diognetus, uh, written somewhere around 200. Nobody knows who wrote it. Uh, they know it was written to Diognetus. No one really knows who he is. But it's, um, it's a really interesting letter. Listen to, this is chapter 5 out of this letter. Christians are not distinguished from other men by country, language, nor by the customs which they observe. They do not inhabit cities of their own, use a particular way of speaking, nor lead a life marked out by any curiosity. The course of conduct they follow has not been devised by the speculation and deliberation of inquisitive men. They do not, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of merely human doctrines. Instead, they inhabit both Greek and barbarian cities, however things have fallen to each of them. It is while following the customs of the natives in clothing, food, and the rest of ordinary life that they display to us their wonderful and admittedly striking way of life. They live in their own countries, but they do so as those who are just passing through. As citizens, they participate in everything with others, yet they endure everything as if they were foreigners. Every foreign land is like their homeland to them, and every land of their birth is like a land of strangers. They marry like everyone else, and they have children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They share a common table, but not a common bed. They exist in the flesh, but they do not live by the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, all while surpassing the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They lack everything, yet they overflow in everything. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor they are glorified. They are spoken ill of, and yet are justified. They are reviled but blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice, as if, it, as if raised from the dead. They are assailed by the Jews as barbarians. They are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. Is that not uh, a great testimony to the witness of Christ from our brothers and sisters almost two millennia ago? I want a couple things that, that strike me. One, that they live in their own countries, but they do so as those who are just passing through. Every land of their birth is like a land of strangers. So maybe one way in which, which we bear witness to Christ um, is that idea. I love my country, 
as I'm assuming most of you in here do, um, served in the military, vote every election, all of those good things. Our, uh, our daughter, we're naming her Tayton, comes from my middle name, Talton, which goes back to like the 1700s, the Tarleton Hurt that fought in the, in the War of 1812 against the British. Deep roots in the United States. I love the United States. I love the freedoms we have in this country. But at the end of the day, I, like all of the believers in this room, am just a foreigner. Right? I'm just a foreigner. This is a land of strangers. If you believe the gospel, then you are not of this world. It's really easy for us to get caught up in that because culturally, there's two groups. There's conservatives and there's liberals, right? Uh, and that divide widens by the day. But I would ask you this question kind of honestly, how often do you and I view ourselves through that lens? Primarily conservative, liberal, whatever. Um, I, I think here's the truth and one that would, would do well for us to, to keep in our minds, that there are two groups. There's the people of God and there are the people of the world. Which group do we belong to? Uh, Now, can we agree with and stand with politically like-minded people on particular issues? Absolutely, right? The sanctity of life, all of these things. We can stand with politically like-minded people, but at the end of the day, do not forget that we're not the same, that we are not of this world, that we are citizens living, citizens of heaven living in a land of strangers. Uh, I hope, like most of you probably do, that November shifts some things. Uh, we hope so, right? We have kids. We want them to grow up in a prosperous country like, like we've been blessed to grow up in. But if things do not change, lots of people that we would align with politically are going to lose their ever-loving mind. Uh, we are not. Why? Because, because we're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven. We're just foreigners. Our witness to Christ is that we stand firm with joy in our hearts and peace on our lips as the world burns down around us. This is how Christians, this is not like a controversial thing I'm saying. This is how Christians have always lived. That's how they've always lived. Two other things that that stick out. uh, They marry like everyone else and they have children but do not destroy their offspring. Uh, in Roman culture, it was common for people to, if they have a baby they don't want, uh, just put it out in the street, let it die of exposure. Um, one thing that made Christians noticeably different was that they did not do this. If you ever come across somebody who tries to claim, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about abortion, uh, the church really never developed a, a theology of abortion, um, you know, hopefully they're just ignorant. They're probably just intentionally lying. Uh, because one of the marks, one of the witnesses of the early church was that they did not practice the killing of babies. Too, they share a common table, but not a common bed. You know, you invite friends over for dinner, and, and it stops at the dinner table. So two things that were noticeably different about Christians, which bore witness to Christ, is one, their view on abortion, and two, their view on sexual ethics. Does that sound familiar at all? 
Two things that we could argue are, are probably some of the most contested issues in Western culture today. Uh, we stand strong on the Word of God primarily, but we're not just standing on the Word of God. We are standing on the tradition of the Christian faith since it was founded. These have always been the things that separated the Christians from everybody else. Their, their view of the sanctity of life, um, and you can even get into the Colosseum and gladiatorial games and how Christians viewed that. Their view on sexual ethics in a, in a wicked um, sexual culture and the way they viewed themselves as citizens. That they participated like everybody else, but at the end of the day, every foreign land is like their homeland because while they pass their days on earth, they're citizens of heaven. Our actions are meant for the glory of God. They're meant for people to, to see it in us, uh, to see the stark difference in the way that we live our lives, and it's meant to lead people to glorify God because of the life that we live. An example, Matthew five sixteen. in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we bear witness with our life, and we bear witness with the way that we love. Uh, we read Matthew 22 earlier during the, the time of singing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, and again, we go back to those passages we just read that, that a marker of, uh, of a witness of Jesus is the way we live. And we, we think personal holiness. Um, but then Jesus goes on to say, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this can be easy to, to overlook um, when we're so focused on pursuing holiness in our own lives, I think it could be easy to overlook what a witness for Christ it is to love others. Uh, it's one of the primary witnesses of a Christian is your love for other people. There is no place in the Christian life for being a jerk. Just not, it's not there. It should not be there. A couple of verses, um, of course, 1 Corinthians 13, used rightfully in weddings, but it's important to remember that, that Paul is not referring to marriage in that passage. He's talking about general Christian love. Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable, resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Uh, I, I, I could go on uh, and, and just read a ton of verses. Um, John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Right? Jesus says the primary mark that you are my disciple is that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The primary mark, not down the list like sometimes we make it. The primary mark. Uh, again, tons of verses. Look it up. Um, I, I want to give some more examples just of the, the testimony, the witness of the early church. First, um, early Christians were often persecuted for practicing incest maybe you knew that maybe you didn't that's a fun fact um were they no 
But what happened was they called each other brother and sister, and they loved each other with such a deep love that the culture around them didn't know what to do with it. That kind of love for other people was just foreign in the Roman culture. And so they accused Christians of practicing incest just because they loved each other. Uh, Eusebius, he's a church historian. There was a plague in Caesarea in the early 4th century. Uh, People started fleeing the city for the safety of the countryside. But in Eusebius's book, Church History, is kind of one of the foremost church historians of, of the early church. He said this, All day long, some of the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city a multitude of this withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. When plague and famine hit this city, everybody took off, right? Everybody left. They closed their doors. They social distanced. Uh, they didn't, you know. Christians didn't. Christians were the only ones who stayed behind, caring for the sick, gathering what little food that they had to feed those who were afflicted by this famine. And that is not an isolated story. I mean, that is the story of the, of the church. Um, is their love for people and the church's charity. This is from Julian the Apostate, uh, called the Apostate because he, this was at the time when, when uh, Rome was, was much more favorable towards Christianity, and, and Julian claimed to be a Christian until they made him emperor, and then he said, ha ha, gotcha, I'm not actually. Uh, he was the last pagan emperor, but he recognized the Christian's compassion for people is one of the reasons that Christianity grew so quickly, was their compassion for others. He, read, uh, he wrote this letter to a pagan priest, and in it he said, When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, by our own priests, then I think the impious Christians observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Julian's goal was to bring about a, a, a revival of paganism in the Roman Empire. And, and he wrote to, uh, to, to pagan priests, he said, you need to imitate the Christian's charity. If we hope for a, a renewal of paganism, we need to be more like the Christians and their love for people. Of course, they didn't do it. Um, But the witness of the early church was that their love for people is what helped the church to grow. And pagan emperors said we need to be more like them. They're taking care of our people when we're not even taking care of them. There's a reason that there's St. Luke's and St. you know, St. John's and so many hospitals are have uh, have those kinds of names because it has historically been the Christians who cared and loved other people. A uh, pagan satirist, last, last example of this, uh, he, he wrote a, it was a book, it was satire, and in it, you know, won't go into the details of it, but there's this statement in here that says, Christ has convinced Christians that once they stop believing in Greek gods and start worshiping that crucified sage of theirs and living according to his laws, they are all each other's brothers and sisters. We bear witness to Christ when we love God fully, when we love 
others, when our lives bear the fruit of a changed heart, this has been the history of the church, that as we live godly lives in front of others, as we love other people, it bears witness to Christ. Last one is that we bear witness with our very lives. We bear witness with our lives. I want to define persecution for, for very quickly. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12 says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we obviously acknowledge that we don't face the kind of persecution that the church has faced historically, that most of our brothers and sisters in Christ face around the globe today. Uh, none of us are going to jail for preaching the gospel. No one's going to confiscate our property. Uh, no one's going to take a knife to us. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that Jesus includes reviling, uttering evil against us alongside persecution, right? To revile means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Do Christians in the United States face that? I would say yes. I would say yes. That people utter evil against us, um, criticize in an abusive, angry, insulting manner. It's our response to that that bears witness to Christ. Uh, when someone reviles you for your faith, do you respond in love? Or do you respond with the same? Uh, if, if we're insulted for the sake of Christ, do we respond insult for insult? Do we get defensive? Uh, or do we rejoice and be glad? Right? I know for me, like the, I, I, don't, I don't like to look stupid. Um, I don't like to be stupid. Nothing more embarrassing than doing something stupid. I'm like, I'm going to go crawl in a hole and die. Um, and the biggest insult you can give me is to call me stupid. Like, you could call me any number of things, right? Uh, but what's my response to that? Is it love? Not initially. Inside, I'm like, well, right? Um, I think we should genuinely ask ourselves this question. How do we respond? How do we respond? Because I think sometimes we'd be like, well, I'm being strong. And I'm standing firm for the faith and, and all of these things. It's like, well, but, but there's a point, right? There's a point when if people are reviling you and insulting you because of Jesus, we say, praise God. I'm doing something right, right? Um, I want us to, to think about this word witness for a second. The word that's translated as witness in, in, the, in the New Testament is the Greek word martis. And it's used in the New Testament primarily as a legal term. So if you go into a court of law, you stand as a martis. You stand as a witness. Uh, and this is the way it's used in the New Testament. Witnesses for Christ, because often that's how it happened. You were a witness in court um, for, for the faith. It's not until the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 6, that it says um, that martis is translated uh, as martyr the way we currently think of the word 
Martis. So from the end of the New Testament through the early days of the church, the word Martis went from being translated or, or used as witness and went to solely used the way that we use the word martyr. Um, so what's this significant? I, 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 you know, it's profoundly significant, I think. Uh, I, I hope that I can do justice to it. Um, to the early Christians, to bear witness for Christ was to die. Like it was to die. Um, Christian witness was not just about sharing the gospel. It wasn't just about living a holy life. It wasn't just about loving others. Christian witness was about dying. Like the word that's used in the, in the New Testament to, to you know, communicate witness in a court of law became the term, like the only way we translate it is one who is killed for their faith. Church historian Michael Haken says this, the church in the first three centuries after the birth of Christ, was a church of martyrs. Was a church of witnesses unto death. I think often we think of, of martyrdom um, as, you know, it's because I love Jesus, or it's because I get to be with Jesus. Um, and why they certainly did view it that way, that wasn't primary. Instead, the to them, the, the courage of the Christian in the face of death was, was not, I'm going to get to be with Jesus soon. It was, in this moment, I am a witness for Christ. I am a witness for Christ. Tertullian said this, For all who witness the noble patience of its martyrs as stock with misgivings are inflamed with desire to examine into the matter in question. And as soon as they come to know the truth, uh, they straight away enroll themselves as its disciples. So as people watch Christians be martyred, they said, there's something to this, right? There's something to this. And they became Christians. It was Tertullian who said, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Maybe we could ask, why is the church in the West shrinking while the church in China and the Middle East and Africa is, is growing because uh, maybe there's some truth to the blood of the martyr being the seed of the church. Justin Martyr, uh, wonder what happened to him, right? Got his last name for it. Justin Martyr said this, when I myself reveled in the teachings of Plato and I heard the Christians misrepresented and watched them stand fearless in the face of death and every other thing that was considered fearful, I realized the impossibility of their living in sinful pleasure. So here is Justin, a Platonist, watching Christians martyred in the arena, led him to faith in Christ. He's the most famous martyr in the history of the church. Sounds like Paul, maybe, right? Very similar. Listen to this story. Ignatius of Antioch, uh, he was arrested in about 110, and he's sent to Rome for trial. And on his way to Rome, though he was under arrest, he was allowed to meet with some church leaders, and he wrote letters during this time. And, and the most striking to me is that uh, in these letters, he's reflecting on his martyrdom. Like, the dude knows what's coming. He's not going to Rome to have tea with the emperor. Uh, he knows what's coming. And he's writing these letters, and he writes a letter to the Christians in Rome because the Christians in Rome, many of them were politically connected, and he knew that they had 
the ability to get him out of, of what was coming to him. And, and he knew if he didn't say anything that they would. So he wrote a letter and he said, if you be silent and leave me alone, I am a word of God. He writes a letter to the Christians in Rome who have the ability to get him off the hook and says, you better not. You better not take my martyrdom away from me. Because in my martyrdom, I am a witness unto Christ. Uh, yeah, how many of us really, really, you know, I say I, I hope in the face of death that, that I would take it. <laughs> um, but when someone calls me dumb for being a Christian, I get mad. So it's, you know, if I can't handle an insult, can I, can I handle a, a sword? I, I wonder. This is the letter of Dionetus again. Don't you see them exposed to wild beasts for the purpose of persuading them to deny the Lord, yet they are not overcome? Don't you see that the more of them that are punished, the greater the number of the rest becomes? Listen to this. This is why it is a witness for Christ. This does not seem to be the work of man. This is the power of God. These are the evidences of his appearance. We don't face the threat of death as a result of being Christians. Um, to be honest, I don't think we will. I really don't think we will. Uh, I, I think uh, there's a lot of things that could happen as far as censorship and freedom of speech and, and things like that that I think could tie the hands of Christians in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, hopefully I'm right on this. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think Christians in the United States are, are going to face uh, execution uh, anytime soon. Um, but if you would have asked me five years ago if I thought that there would be any kind of like potential repercussions for, for the proclamation of the gospel, I would have said, nah, I don't, I don't think so. Now I would say maybe not such a stretch, right? Uh, when you get into to freedom of speech and censorship and, and these kinds of things. Um, so I hope, I hope really, that, that we never have to face what the early church faced at, at the level that they faced it. Um, but still we learn from them what it means to bear witness for Christ in response to persecution, in response to reviling, in response to evil words being spoken against us. Uh, we, we don't return evil for evil. If someone, you know, insults us for being Christians, we don't, you know, in turn insult them for, you know, being ugly or whatever. Like, don't try that door to door. Can I present the gospel to you? No, thanks. Well, you're ugly. And go away. That's a, not a good witness. We don't return evil with evil. The early church didn't, didn't take up arms against their persecutors. I know that's, this is the United States, and that's a bold thing to say. Um, Instead, they used the opportunities to bear witness to the truthfulness of the faith. When put on trial, they shared the gospel. Uh, they sang hymns as their bodies burned. They rejoiced in the Lord as beasts tore into them. They didn't get mad. They didn't scream at their persecutors. They didn't pull out a sword and fight back. They they smiled and they rejoiced and they sang hymns and it made an impact on many of those who watched it happen. So again, 
you know, I, I hope that there is not a future in the U.S. where they could come in and, you know, pull us out of this building and have a lion waiting in the parking lot. You know, I, I hope that doesn't happen. That was the reality for, uh, for the early church, and, and, and many of them took it happily. In fact, what, what happened is sometimes Christians would run. When, like, persecution started, they'd chuck deuces. They said, I'm out of here. Um, when the persecution would stop, those Christians would come back. And the Christians who stayed said, I don't think so. <laughs> no, you ran under persecution. That, like, this is the witness. This is how we bear witness. Mickey talked a few weeks ago about, you know, someone mentioned we need a, uh, at the time that the Roman Empire became Christianized, we need a, a new persecution because once Christianity became easy, the problem started. Maybe that sounds a little familiar. So, um, we are to be witnesses to Christ. It's not an option to be a Christian is to bear witness to Christ. We do it with our words as we share the gospel. We preach the gospel. Sure, we live lives that are honoring to God. Preach the gospel with our mouths. Uh, We do it with our actions as we pursue holiness, as we love others. And we do it with our lives as we respond to persecution with love. We pursue Christ above all else. Chris is going to come up and um, play on the on the piano while we have just a short time of response. Um, if you're a Christian in here, I would, I would ask that you would just spend some time reflecting uh, because every one of us is lacking somewhere. Every one of us is lacking somewhere in our witness. Uh, maybe, maybe we have a neighbor that we haven't shared the gospel with. Um, I, I mean, I, I know we do. We have a neighbor that has pride flags and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, have I, have I talked to them about the, the gospel? No. Um, I shared with the last neighbor that, that lived there. Um, and, and, you know, there was a death soon after, so I'm, I'm glad that I, that I shared. Um, but where are you lacking? Are, are you lacking in your, in your holiness, right? And that's something that, that Mickey's been hammering every week. Uh, are you lacking in your love for other people? If, if someone mentions your name, do they think, man, what a kind, loving person? Or do they say, mm, I, don't, I don't really like being around them, right? Uh, personality's not an excuse. Megan's always reminding me. She goes, you got to, you know, you're a kind person, but sometimes people don't, don't see it. Uh, they're, they're confused by you. Uh, it's not on purpose, I promise. I'm not a jerk. I'm just weird and, and awkward. Um, but, but I need to do better, right? Uh, are we willing to suffer for the gospel? And our suffering is not even that bad, and sometimes we're not willing to suffer, right? Uh, consider that during this time. If you're not a Christian in here, if you're not uh, born again, trusted in Christ, then the, the question is, what are Christians bearing witness to? What is it? We're bearing witness to the truthfulness of the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, that, that all people are born dead in sin with no hope to save themselves. So Jesus uh, lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. You and I deserve justice from God rightfully because he's holy and good. Jesus took the justice 
on himself so that those who would believe on the name of Jesus would be saved from their sin and spend eternity in communion with God instead of being cast into hell to suffer the wrath of God for all eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel that we bear witness to with our words and with our lives and with our actions uh, and if it's uh, if it's required with our very blood and heartbeat. Um, that is the good news that we bear witness to. I'm not going to convince you to say a prayer, uh, but, but we will have a time to, for, you to, for you to submit to that. It's not a matter of believe it if you want to believe it. It's the truth. Believe it, right? So as Chris plays, just a, a few short minutes, and then we'll, uh, then we'll go eat.
Lord, um, thank you for your word. We thank you for, for what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. We don't deserve forgiveness. Uh, we, don't, we don't deserve anything but, but justice. Um, and God, you, you did give justice, but you gave it to the, to the one who didn't deserve it uh, on our behalf. God, those of us who are, who are in Christ trusted his um, imputed righteousness that, that you look at us and you see, you see the work of Jesus. And God, I, I pray that that would lead us to live as witnesses. You've called us, I mean, those in Christ, that you have one job and it's to be a witness for what you accomplished for us. Uh, there is no greater aim. There is nothing in our life more important than to bear witness. But God, we all fall short. So I would ask you to give us the, the strength and the courage and the wisdom to see the areas where we're failing to, to live as witnesses. If it's a matter of um, in, in, uh, holiness in our lives, maybe we're, we're, we're acting and, and doing things we know we shouldn't be doing. Maybe we're not loving others well. Maybe we're holding bitterness and grudges against people. Um, Maybe we just don't speak the truth of the gospel. We don't preach the gospel when we have an opportunity. Maybe we get offended so easily that, um, that we respond with offense. Uh, God, we, ha- we have to have your grace. I know I do. Uh, I, I don't think I would be a nice person if it was not for you. Uh, I need your grace in my life to accomplish these things, any of these things. Um, and so we ask you for that, and we thank you that the blood of, of Jesus has, has covered our sin, um, so, so that at the end of the day, we don't have to worry about being cast into hell because we didn't share the gospel with enough people, but um, that, is, that is the fact that we are bound for heaven that, that leads us to share the gospel with people, because we love others, and we want them to, to know Jesus. We want them to have life. We want them to be forgiven of their sin. God, I thank you for, uh, for this day again and the food that, that we're going to eat. I'm going to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for, uh, for being here this morning, for, for bearing with me. Um,